That's much better. Good. Um, yes, we've seen that uh, faith always has a future dimension. It's always both now and not yet. It always has those uh, two components. It's something uh, that we experience in the present, but it's oriented uh, towards uh, the future. Uh, so a criticism that faith is totally blind, is like, an, a, ste- is like a, a step into the abyss, is not true. And we'll come to why that's uh, the case. Uh, because in a sense, we, our faith is founded on what has been before and what we experience now, but it is also oriented into the future. Uh, but neither with faith do we have 2020 vision where we can see everything uh, clearly, where we totally understand uh, God's purposes, where we're completely sure that every move that we make, every decision that we take, uh, is completely and utterly in line uh, with God's will for us. Of course, we would say now that everybody who is alive every day is exercising faith. Uh, We do it every day. We we have uh, faith or not in relationships that we have. Uh, We have faith or not in the organizations uh, who run our lives. And I think many of us know that we will look back at this moment in history, this season, and we'll see it as maybe an all-time low in terms of the faith that people have in leaders and politicians and organizations. Uh, so we're all exercising faith. But because of our human frailty and lack of knowledge, it means that all of us, including atheists, are living by faith. The question then is faith in who or faith in what? The foundation of our faith as Christians is multifaceted. It is our faith is based in history. It's based in the, the things that the God of history did, the way that he showed who he was and what he's like. It's, of course, based in the presence, in our experience of the grace, the love, the compassion, the forgiveness of God. It's founded, of course, supremely in the Bible. It's also, for Christians, really important that my faith is integrated with your faith. So my faith is encouraged and nurtured by your faith and your faith by mine. Thus, the importance of the community of faith, where we encourage one another. All of these things are very persuasive. And as Christians, we know the headlines of the end of the story. But there are still many times when we can't see very far ahead. And that is what is being addressed in this chapter. And we've rushed through in the last few weeks, we've rushed through in like a very brief who's who of the Old Testament. Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. And the common ground of all of these people is their courage. That they were living and working in the present for God's future. 
They weren't enthralled or captivated simply by humanity's presence or their presence in, in getting by in the presence. But they were captivated by a vision of hope for what God had called them to be and what God was going to do in the world. And that courage, as courage is always, was, only, was shown in the fact that they suffered. They suffered derision and persecution and uncertainty. They didn't live to see the promises they hoped for uh, to be fulfilled. And we now gallop in the last quarter of the chapter to a kind of crescendo as the author of Hebrews uh, populates a gallery, if you like, of cheering witnesses. Uh, Imagine a a stand at a stadium at the end of a marathon. And you know that point where the marathon runners come in to the stadium and they do one final lap. And that's what they're doing. They're they're populating this stand with all these cheering witnesses, uh, inspiring us to live by faith. And we start with six names in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 32. And if you're a Bible scholar, and I know many of you are, uh, you will know uh, or you will have recognized when Stephen was reading that uh, they come in a slightly odd order. They don't come in, the, in, a kind of, in a chronological order in the way that we would have read about them in the Bible. Uh, I'm not sure why that is, uh, but here's the order that is used in Hebrews. We start with Gideon. Remember Gideon? Gideon was a nervous, vacillating, reluctant soldier who in the end led his people to victory against overwhelming odds. But the thing that he said to God most often was, uh, pardon me, Lord. He, he just couldn't quite believe uh, that, that God was interested in using someone like him. It's just such a, such a lovely, polite, polite sort of British thing to say to God, isn't it? You must be mistaken. Pardon me. Uh, you must have someone else in mind. Uh, then we get to uh, Barak. Uh, Barak, you may not have heard of, he was also a nervy, reluctant leader. And he, he just basically didn't want to be a leader. He didn't like the idea. And he thought Deborah was a better leader. He was actually right but he didn't realize that God wasn't calling him to be a hero, but just to play his part. And eventually he got that straight, and he was actually very good at playing second fiddle to Deborah, who was called as the key leader of the time. Then we get to Samson. Now, we all remember Samson, born of respectable, God-fearing parents, but a bit of a beast of a man. His weakness, of course, was a total disregard for women and a lust for sex, Uh, Yet, despite those massive flaws, he still helped to save his people. Then we get to Jephthah. Jephthah was a a disinherited scoundrel who hung out with misfits. He was a surprising hero who had surprisingly keen insights into God's purposes. But he was also a foolish legalist, if you remember, whose short-sighted, faithless vow led to his taking his daughter's life. Then we have David, Israel's greatest king, man of God, poet, warrior, adulterer, negligent father, murderer. But he had the grace to listen to God in many ways. In particular, uh, not to do what he wanted, which was to build this beautiful and ornate temple uh, for God, but rather leave that uh, to others. 
Then we have Samuel. Samuel, whose greatest trial was to act responsibly and to act with dignity even when his godly and wise advice to his country went unheeded. We want a king, they said. A king will be a disaster, says Samuel. But still, despite the fact that his advice goes unheeded, he never abandons the simplicity of listening to God's voice. And these six named people at the end of Hebrews 11 are followed by a whole host of others who were literally too many to name. All of them acted courageously and faithfully, all at great sacrifice. Some, this is the really interesting division, some saw God do wonderful things through their imperfect offers of faith. Others were killed or suffered deeply with no obvious or immediate results. It's probably Jeremiah in view as the one who died by stoning, and it's probably also Isaiah who's in view, who was sawn in two. So there's a division, and it's such a relief, isn't it, that the author of this letter doesn't say, here's so-and-so, they trusted God, and it was amazing. They did amazing things. Here's so-and-so. They trusted God. It was all really difficult, but then, ba-ding, it turned out all right in the end. He includes in this list, he or she includes, uh, people whose trust in God, and certainly in terms of the span of their life, did not end well. And yet still, he commends them to us as examples of faith. What does this part of Hebrews 11 help us to see more clearly about the nature of Christian faith? I think a few things. Firstly, faith happens when we act. It happens when we act. If you look back at Hebrews 11, it's just action word after action word after action word. And many of them are introduced by that phrase, by faith. So by faith, so-and-so did such-and-such. By faith, so-and-so did such and such. And it just keeps going on and on and on. Christian faith happens when we act. When we do faith, we haven't really got, we need a verb in English. We, we need to be able to say, when we faith. Uh, but we can't quite say that in English. So we have to say something like, when we do faith, or when we act faithfully, we base our actions on both history, who God has been in the past, and experience who God is to us now. To do faith is to walk humbly with God, not to know things about the Bible. In our culture, someone who has faith is often thought about as someone who knows things or allies themselves in a certain way. But for us as Christians, it's actually quite different. Uh, To exercise faith is to walk humbly uh, with God. I'd like you just for a moment to look back in your own mind at the last, say, I don't know, six, nine, 12 months of your life and to think, well, what's, what's been going on? Can, can you think today, it's not, this is not a guilt trip, can you think of one thing in that period of time that you've done that was by faith? So if I was to say, or if I was to write, by faith, Sue did X. Brian did X. What would that thing be uh, for you? 
It would need to be something that is founded principally on who God is and what he's promised. It would be something that wouldn't make sense to someone who doesn't love God and his kingdom. So someone, someone who knows you well but is, is not a Christian would look on that thing and think, well, actually that doesn't compute in 2023. What you did by faith will be different to a neighbor or a family member who doesn't do faith. So I wonder if you can just, in your own mind, just focus on one thing, one aspect of your life, one decision that you've taken, one thing that you've bought, one way in which you've decided to invest your time that we could put that beautiful phrase, by faith, in front of. So just take a moment to see if you can focus on one action or area of your life. Now, it, it might be too much to focus on in the moment. So, so let's try maybe another route to that. How is God? How is God now encouraging you to courageous and hope-filled faith, to, to act in a far-sighted and a tenacious and a hope-filled way, a, a way that shows that your real home and your real hope is in him. It's not in your house. It's not ultimately in your career or your family, but your real home, a place where your treasure lies, is with God. Because that's why these people are being singled out and used to encourage us that we would walk in the same way. We would do faith in the same hope-filled, God-honoring way. So that's the first and the key thing. When Christians have faith, it's primarily shown and experienced and lived out in what we do, how we act. The second thing to recognize, and you may know this already, but just in case, we are imperfect people who exercise our faith sporadically and sometimes ingloriously. None of us here is a hero of faith. But that's okay because neither were Gideon or Barak or Jephthah or Samson. They weren't heroes of faith. When we trust in him, in God, it is God who generously and graciously takes our frail and feeble actions and breathes life into them. You aren't a hero of faith, but you don't need to be a hero of faith to love God and to follow him in his world. So we're not heroes of faith. We don't need to be. Next, faithful, courageous, God-fearing lives almost always attract criticism and rejection or mockery. And sometimes they end badly, or at least they end without any obvious and immediate results. In our passage, we have Daniel surviving the lion's den, and we have Isaiah being sawn in two. The difference is not that Daniel's faith was greater than Isaiah's. It was somehow deeper or more focused. 
or more wholehearted. They were both imperfect people who dared to stake everything on their unseen God. And that teaches us that our area of deepest reflection, both individually and as a church, is not, am I now doing remarkable things for God? But it's, am I being faithful? And am I being true? Having said that, we're still talking about Isaiah and Jeremiah. You know, 2,000, 700, 800 years after they died so ignominiously. But at the time, that would have looked like abject failure. So faithful, courageous, God-fearing lives almost always attract some kind from somewhere of criticism, rejection, and mockery. The deepest reason that our writer lists these Old Testament characters is because she or he is 100% certain that we today, living now, are more blessed than they were. Now, that's not because of technology or the improvement of living standards, but it's because we live after Jesus, whereas they lived before Jesus. We have the example, the teaching, the commissioning, the dying and the rising and the ascending Jesus. We know Jesus to follow. And we have the spirit of Jesus within us that is a far, far richer way to walk with God. These people that we've been thinking about, the Samsons, the Davids, the Samuels, they obeyed God, they lived for God with far less to see and to trust in, to understand or experience regarding the purposes of God. They longed to see what we see and know. They were kind of reaching out to it. They saw uh, the distant glimmers of it. They saw the outline of it. But they don't see, they didn't see and know what we now see and know. So our response to Hebrews 11, marvelous, majestic chapter of Scripture that it is, is not, wow. I could never live a life of faith like that. That's not our response. Partly because these Old Testament people were ordinary, compromised, reluctant, and off-beam, just like us. But mostly, we don't conclude that, because we have Jesus as our pioneer, as our trailblazer. They looked forward to him we look back and we look up to him and so we thank God for these sisters and brothers who went before us but we're not intimidated by them we don't feel belittled by them rather we redouble our resolve to live now in the light of God's kingdom and truth to know where our real home is to gladly walk the sometimes straight, mostly twisty and foggy road of faith together, cheered on as we are by saints old and saints new. And the very best conclusion 
to Hebrews 11 is the first bit of Hebrews 12. Um, Karen, if you could just pop that on the screens. I think it should be there ready and waiting for us. And we're, as a way of ending this series, we're just going to say these words together because this is the author's own conclusion to the wonderful lives of faith that he has used uh, to encourage us. So would you please stand with me as we say uh, these words. We say together, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen.